All right, we're going. Do we have a waveform? Everyone can hear me. Oh, we don't have waveforms in this, eh? Uh, okay. I can hear you, and I do see a waveform. Yeah, there's a waveform. It's just, uh, it's just small. Because okay, I, I think that's Maybe just my... the way the the platform is. That it, that it so shows. You're definitely up. Okay. making. Well, I can't see a waveform being picked up. Okay, good. I can't see it, but I'll trust trust you. All right. Uh, internet here can be a little dodgy sometimes, so. And as I say that, I can't open my script. <laughs> Come on, you can do it. I just literally just had it open. Okay. Oh, nice. Come on. All right. There we go. All right. <clears throat> Friends and enemies. <laughs> Friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney, recording today here in Amiskwichiwaskagan, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 territory on the banks of the mighty Kasiskasawanasipi, or the North Saskatchewan River. Joining us today are Progress Report staff writer Jeremy Appel and fellow Progress reporter Jim Story. Let's welcome the J-Boys to the show. How are you guys doing? How are you feeling? I'm doing all right. Yeah. You know, uh, the past uh, few weeks, uh, which we'll probably talk about at the end, uh, have been uh, very emotionally exhausting for me, and I can only imagine how much more so for uh, people who are more directly affected by uh, what's going on in Gaza. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's been occupying a lot of my thoughts, but... Uh, there are, of course, other things going on uh, in the world and in our part of the world. So I'm uh, glad to uh, be talking about them. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, the I legislative session uh, just just kicked off, right? So taking a, a quick look at what the UCP would like to be working on is uh, hopefully going to give people some insights on on what's going on in session this time around. Yeah, well, I think it will probably be a preview of the types of things that we can expect, uh, not in this legislative se le legislative session, because that's already sort of laid out, but in uh, future legislative sessions, because thanks to the Albert NDP, uh, we have four more years of uh, UCP health. Oh, damn. That was a very slick transition, Jeremy, I have to say, like the the thing that we're talking about today on the pod is you know the the policy uh, I, I guess it's technically the AGM but the thing we're going to be talking about is the policy re resolutions that are going to be debated at the upcoming United Conservative Party uh AGM that's happening this weekend in Calgary and i, I these type of like policy resolutions are always kind of i think they're instructive i think they're useful to examine for kind of like a couple of big reasons. I think you get to really know the priorities of the conservative activists uh, who kind of like do the meat and potatoes work of a political party uh, at these kind of like 
at these policy resolution debates, you kind of really get to pull the window back and see like, oh yeah, like this is really what, you know, you get a real window into the soul of the like sour faced middle-aged woman with a bad haircut who has a fuck Trudeau sticker on her truck who does endless amounts of paperwork for her CA. We really get to know like what her political priorities are. And the thing is those people like do end up uh, kind of driving a lot of the priorities of a political party. And especially with Danielle Smith's kind of loosey goosey, leadership style it'll be interesting to see what the first agm with kind of her at the helm kind of looks and feels like what um i'll throw it to you first jeremy like what do you think this this agm is going to look like and and as we kind of get into this these specific resolutions do you kind of have any any thoughts on where the priorities of the conservative movement in alberta are Right. Well, I think uh, this AGM is interesting because, as you said, it's sort of the first test of uh, Danielle Smith, now elected premier, um, in how she's going to govern in relation to the party's grassroots. Um, Of course, this was why uh, Jason Kenney um, was turfed as leader, because there became an increasing gap between what he wanted to do and what the grassroots wanted to do. Um, he, of course, famously uh, signed his grassroots guarantee when he was running for the leadership of the UCP. And then at the AGM, they passed a resolution uh, calling for the outing of kids in GSAs, like mandatory uh, outing of kids in GSAs, if memory serves. And then Kenny said, well, you know what? I hold the pen. So tough. Um, and, uh, of course he did ultimately, uh, implement a version of that policy, although it wasn't mandatory, he sort of made it so, uh, homophobic teachers at Christian private schools could, if they wanted to, uh, out kids to their parents and be protected for that. But, uh, it will be interesting to see, um, how deep Smith's commitment to the UCP grassroots is. Um, because, uh, that, I mean, that was her, that was her pitch, right? It was like, yeah, Kenny betrayed you. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be your actual voice. And, um, of course the exigencies of governing make that, uh, relationship, uh, a lot more of a difficult tightrope to walk then uh, it would be in theory, right? You could talk about the grassroots all that you want, but what resolutions coming out of the AGM are you actually going to implement? Are you going to be strategic? And I think that's what 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 Smith's going to do, and that is her strength, is she'll she'll adopt some of these things but not the ones that would get her into too much trouble or sort of conflict with her like libertarian uh, leanings. Um, But um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some overlap between what social conservatives and libertarians want, particularly uh, surrounding uh, education and uh, so-called school choice. So I think that is definitely... Uh, point of agreement and anything that comes out of the AGM in relation to that, we'll probably see Smith try to implement in some capacity. This is not exactly the will of the grassroots. It's sort of somewhere between the will of the grassroots and the will of the party. 
because what makes it into this policy document is stuff that's like mediated through the party processes, right? It's like filtered in much the same way that if you look at one of the Alberta NDP AGM documents with their resolutions, you know, even though, for example, uh, a, a, a large swath of the party wants, um, you know, the, the electeds to work on uh, rent control, a policy like that is not going to make it into the NDP AGM document, even though the grassroots won. So, um, while we talk about this stuff, um, I do think it's important to keep in mind that this is kind of like a halfway point between what the base wants and what the party wants. That's what you see in this thing. Yeah, that's a good point. The party sort of uh, the party apparatus sort of filters out um, the stuff that is going to be a headache for them. And you see, I mean, the NDP. Uh, I don't want to say they're good at that, but they do that effectively, right? Well, um, if the uh, if the UCP are operating anyway, like the NDP operate, then they're not only filtering things out of this document, but filtering things into the document, so to speak, you know, adding um, sort of filler. Uh, I would not be surprised if certain uh, very loyal party members on CAs were given some coaching on what policies uh, they wanted to have appear in this document, because that's certainly the way things get done on the other side of the aisle. I also think it's worthwhile to keep an eye on these on these uh, policy resolution kind of debates, because you know, even just because of the history here in Alberta, like granted, it was the Wild Rose Party. It was several years ago, and it was uh, a party that was not in power. It was the opposition. But I mean, that, that's that was really kind of the beginning of the end between Daniel Smith and the grassroots of the Wild Rose Party was was an AGM and policy resolutions that were passed there. Uh, I'd have to go back and check the dates, but probably something like a decade ago, maybe even a bit more. Um, and, and so, you know, not only do we have that kind of history there, but then in 2023, we also have this kind of looming organization of kind of like take back Alberta, which really does kind of whether or not it really represents the grassroots of the UCP or not is certainly a, a highly organized uh, organization that has was very instrumental in in the um, last AGM. It was also very instrumental in getting Daniel Smith elected as leader of the party. So, you know, I think this anti-vax, anti-lockdown, anti-trans group, you know, having a, a bit more formal structure and having kind of uh, being a bit more organized than perhaps they were in years past is also something to keep an eye on as well. Well, a great irony of this whole thing is that uh, Danielle Smith is going to be getting yelled at uh, by the same people over the same policies that she was getting yelled at at that old Wild Rose convention back then. Uh, we are going to see, as we go through this document, a lot of zombie ideas, uh, bad ideas that the conservative movement has picked up and has been running with for 15, 20 years. The parental uh, rights and parental notification stuff around uh, around queer kids and GSAs. Like, that is an old meme at this point. You know, they've been beating on that drum for a long time. And it's almost exactly the same policy measures they're asking for here that, yeah. that they were asking for 10 years ago. But we're, I suppose we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Yeah, let's get into let's get into the actual policy resolutions. The first resolution that I think is worthwhile to consider is policy proposal eight from uh, sponsored by Edmonton West Henday. Um, 
the resolution says that the government of Alberta should require teachers, schools, and school boards to obtain the written consent of the parent guardian of a student under the age of 16 prior to changing the names and or pronouns used by the students. The rationale uh, cites the governments in Saskatchewan and New Brunswick recently implementing similar laws, uh, blah, 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 parents.schools are the legal guardians of their children, um, you know, just your usual kind of rhetoric and the rationale. So here we go. The, you know, we've seen this, this, this law come through Saskatchewan. We've seen it come through New Brunswick. What's, uh, who wants to jump in first to be like, why is, is this one? I, I guess my question to, let's say you, Jim, is like, why is this a priority? And what's the likelihood that this actually like not only gets passed as a resolution uh, at this debate, but becomes law later on in the UCP's term? Sure. Well, I mean, I can start with the bad news, which is the likelihood of it being passed at the AGM is very high. Uh, you know, you've seen this policy actually implemented by governments in neighboring provinces. So, uh, I mean, I, I have no doubt that they see this as a, a very achievable thing. Uh, as to whether or not it's going to become law, I mean, I don't know. Uh, who can predict what Daniel Smith actually legislates these days? Uh the odds are certainly non-zero. Uh, this is, um, I mean, this is very much like the next step in the same program that they've been on for a long time with the issue of queer kids in Alberta. Um, I think this is a, a continuation of the same kind of culture war stuff you saw around GSAs. And very similar to the issue with GSAs, uh, a lot of it seems to be about nothing. Um, I, I, uh, I have not anecdotally heard of a lot of schools going around and unilaterally changing kids' names. I have not seen uh, any like significant documentation or research to support any assertions that there is some horrible plague of schools doing this. I mean, you may have some some cases here and there where like a, a kid gets to use a different name at school, but they're they're not like issuing him new id yeah what this taps into is is this um this anxiety that a lot of the people in the ucp grassroots have and which the ucp's um you know the the, the various apparatuses and systems there that are always trying to whip these people up they're always trying to make them feel anxious about it is just this general idea that the government is trying to queer your kids and this is what they've been howling about for at least 15, 20 years. This is just the latest variation of it. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, yeah, do you, th- I, do you I, think I, this gets passed? Do you think this gets gets passed and this becomes eventually law or what? Uh, well, it definitely gets passed. Um, I think, I mean, because again, it was the UCP that really paved the way for what you're seeing the governments in Saskatchewan and New Brunswick uh, doing by weaponizing this rhetoric of parental rights and uh, um, constructing this narrative that parents are being uh, kept out of their children's education. Um, I mean, I would say that the impact of this policy, and again, I mean, it hasn't really been in effect for that long in Saskatchewan and New Brunswick, um, is casting a chill on kids coming out as trans. Not not that, not so much to um, 
address this this problem that doesn't exist um but to make it harder for 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 trans people uh to exist because yeah i mean it's not like teachers are going around and uh, you know, issuing new IDs to kids and facilitating them going through like a formal transition. But if you're a trans kid and you see all this rhetoric um, being discussed around schools, I mean, I think you're more likely to stay in the closet with with mm-hmm. with devastating uh, impacts. And in, and in that. And in that regard, it doesn't even matter if it's if it's uh, introduced as like official policy, because the the, the damage is done. Um, but uh, making official policy, of course, uh, um, you know, sort of amplifies that that atmosphere of of intimidation. Um, whether it becomes well, yeah, policy, uh, Jeremy, if sorry. I can like interrupt for just a second, like yeah. Um, like even beyond the rhetoric, like this has like a um, a very obvious like mechanical impact. Like uh, just like consider the situation, right? You have a you have a kid, they um, for whatever reason are uncomfortable with their gender, and at school they are for whatever reason asking um, to to try something else out to you know say um, you know please don't refer to me using gendered pronouns or please refer to me with the other the other pronoun. And they're they're saying um, no, you, we won't do that unless you fill out this paperwork and get your parents to sign it, right? Like, like consider the situation that a kid is has got to be in if they are trying this stuff for the first time at school instead of not going through this at home with their parents. You know, if they had a supportive environment if they weren't scared of their parents doing something to them, mm-hmm. then they probably would have brought it up to their parents instead of bringing it up to their teacher and some strangers at school first. Yeah. And so like, I, this, this process of getting their potentially abusive parents to sign off on it, like, like it puts them at risk of, of harm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I think the, the, likelihood of this passing is high i think the likelihood of danielle smith actually uh making it a policy i would say is relatively low i mean you've heard her talk about her non-binary relative and how she doesn't think this issue should uh be used as a political football now i know you, you really can't take uh danielle smith's word for anything but i do think that there is enough common ground between her and the people advocating this policy with regards to things like school choice, that um, she would rather focus on that aspect, on the aspect of privatizing education. So like religious fundy parents can send their kids to a school where that uh, would be a requirement, then sort of imposing it on, on the uh, school system writ large. So, um, no, that's a, that's a good point. There is a bit of a grand bargain here that, that she can make if she doesn't want to implement this because the same people who are howling about this stuff, they're the private school psychos, right? They're the, the parents for choice and education types and they could be mollified with some other private school policy for a while. Next resolution. 
Uh, policy resolution 12 or policy proposal 12. The United Conservative Party believes the government of Alberta should prohibit any land use or development planning initiatives that would restrict movement of residents as per section six of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The rationale 15 for this, minute cities. We're in 15 minute cities territory, baby. There is much Man, debate. I, over I the, hate being able to get a coffee when I, when I go for a walk, it fucking sucks <laughs> being able to get a coffee. And sometimes, sometimes I get groceries out on that walk. Yeah. Can you yeah, believe you should disgusting. actually have to drive? You should have to drive at least 15 minutes to uh, get anything you need. Yeah. If you're not going minutes, all the way out yeah. to the superstore, you're basically doing communism. Yeah. Go to Walmart. Libs. Don't you want to support the, the fossil fuel industry? Yeah. Burn yeah. some fucking gas. I love Alberta oil and gas by uh, driving 20 minutes to Costco. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't this... think there's any better. Uh, I don't think there's any better example of just pure psycho shit in this document than this right here. The, the 15 minute cities item. Uh, th- I mean, this, this is such a, such an insane like meme in the, the local Tory sphere. I don't, I don't fucking understand it. The, the one who peddles it the most here in Edmonton seems to be a, a TikTok account run by some like 20 something young women. Very strange, very strange stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, 15 Minute Cities is one of the more hilarious kind of like right-wing meme issues to kind of come up, um, especially when it's like going after the most boring anodyne kind of libs that exist, like city planners. <laughs> um, and like, well, especially when, and also when we're talking about, yes, going to the, gro- walking to a grocery store, walking to a cafe uh, to enjoy anything literally anything that is just close to your house um yeah i don't know i think i think we i think we nailed this one unless jeremy you have any more bon mos on 15 15 minute city resolutions well i was just gonna say speaking of a uh policy resolution to address a problem that doesn't exist um no municipality in alberta has proposed uh you know having a lockdown uh where uh you can't go within uh 15 minutes of your home right the idea is to make um communities more livable and uh you know i think this is really just uh, a great example of this sort of paranoid uh right that uh coming out of covid is scared that that there are just going to be all these other uh excuses for lockdowns which of course alberta never had um so again i I mean i don't know if it passes because i i mean this is like some far out stuff but if it does pass i mean there's no reason for it to become policy because it's like no one's doing this right yeah i I hate to break it to the ucp and like people out there like city planners don't have any real power uh city councils do not have the ability to not stop you from driving 16 minutes within your city uh you know please uh, please go find the next invented thing to be mad at okay well everything under the rationale paragraph in this section is total fucking nonsense but the actual policy itself i think this is very likely to get approved at the agm and um, the only reason it is not likely to get enacted in law is that there's nothing to enact in law like the 
here's the actual resolution. The resolution, the United Conservative Party believes that the government of Alberta should prohibit any land use or development planning initiatives that would restrict movement of residents as per section six of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So the resolution is the UCP should not, um, the UCP should believe that the government should not let you breach the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Yeah, don't pass any unconstitutional okay. laws. <laughs> Good <Okay>. job. <laughs> Yeah, and again, I think a lot of people voting for this would probably um, be doing so in the context of like public health lockdowns, mm-hmm. um, which Smith uh, has, you know, of course, staunchly uh, been opposed to. Not necessarily thinking of the, uh, you know, fifteen-minute city uh, scaremongering, um, but again, I think it's. Uh, very uh like there's no there's no reason for the government to adopt it unless a municipality uh seeks to restrict movement of residents whether as part of this 15-minute city conspiracy or if in the event of the next pandemic you know more likely uh the provincial government isn't doing anything in municipality tries to impose a lockdown which i don't think they can actually do then you know this might be useful for smith to have in her back pocket but yeah i mean i don't uh i i think it's much ado about nothing it is a rare timeline where this goes anywhere or does anything but you know i mentioned earlier that parties have a habit of filtering in things to these documents and not just filtering them out and while I don't have access to the uh, the brain of whoever put this a policy proposal forward. This is exactly the the type of useless crap that you stuff in a document um, and like use to fill up the agenda if you don't want other things getting to the floor. So um, that right. that's why this kind of stuff still exists in the document. It is still well, existing. yeah, and and I mean, they, it's... Might, they might want to just waste a bunch of time at the AGM. They might yeah. want to block something else from coming up for debate. And this this kind of like filler crap is perfect for doing that. Yeah, I mean, it is Innisfil, Sylvan Lake, which is, you know, crazy town. Um, but um, yeah, I think the, the, the next resolution coming from Innisfil, Sylvan Lake that we're going to talk about <laughs> right, is, is. Uh, uh, a lot more um, threatening. Yeah. But also right. like, Anyways, let's talk about that one. Policy Proposal 6, again, sponsored by Innisfil Seven Lake. Resolution, the United Conservative Party believes the government of Alberta should ban post-secondary institutions from the use of race as the as a factor in any admissions program or procedure. And within the rationale of this document, uh, of, of like why, we sh- why the UCP should bring in this, this policy resolution, it says the Supreme Court of the United States recently ruled that the use of race as a factor in a university admissions was unconstitutional. Well, Wrong the... fucking constitution. It's yeah. a different country. They, they don't have the same constitution as us. Yeah. The Supreme Court of, of, of the United States is not, in fact, um, in charge of us here. But I mean, yeah, I... but like. Yeah, I like the next line too. Is the responsibility of the Alberta government to act similarly? Like, no, it's not. It's not. It's literally not their responsibility to follow rulings of the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, I'm sure they would like the Canadian Supreme Court 
to be packed with uh, religious fundamentalists who have been, uh, you know, mobilized in like bred from birth to be like conservative uh, judges. But um, we, I don't want to say we don't have that problem in Canada because I'm sure we do, but it's not nearly as like entrenched. Yeah, I mean, so, I think it's time uh, to separate and become the 51st state here, folks. I mean, really, if this, uh, let's 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 get on with it. But I mean, the idea of um, the government banning post-secondary institutions from using race, like I'm, I'm not a person of color. I don't know. I, I assume that there are a handful of like, of of scholarships and like, you know, policies around this that exist at various universities, but like this is the priority like this is what we need to do like occasionally giving I mean, this is this is a fucking uh uh like plot arc from fox news from like three months ago right there was there was that guy that couldn't get into harvard and uh god i don't remember the i, I wish i could cite the whole the whole story i watched the whole thing play out on twitter it was dumb as shit Mm-hmm. And uh, this is abs- this is absolutely a reference to it. Uh, if I can recall it, I'll put it in the show notes later. But um, like this is a response to like something that was in a media cycle just a couple of months ago, and it was just like one guy complaining on the internet that he couldn't get into Harvard. But I, I would also say like obviously, uh, if that were to become policy, it would have to be tweaked substantially to not be based on like a U.S. Supreme Court decision. But <laughs> yeah. given um, the way the UCP under both Kenny and Smith has been um, attacking post-secondary education, I do in interfering in its operations. Um, I do think that this is uh, more likely to, um, this is more of a threat than uh, the uh, other, uh, the previous resolution about 15-minute cities, right? Because, um, I, I mean, there certainly are affirmative action programs at Canadian universities. I mean, with regards to like indigenous students, uh, yes. for example, I, I, that's the largest impact you're going to see if this actually if this thing gets written into law is just the destruction of a whole bunch of scholarships meant to to help indigenous people. And like, I mean, you spend fucking ten minutes walking the streets of any of the large cities in Alberta, and it is patently obvious that there is a serious racism problem here the black and indigenous people are forced down into a lower economic strata, that having these, uh, these affirmative action policies, like they are necessary to correct for historical wrongs. Uh, I, I don't know what, what else there is to really say here. Like, yeah, it's racist as hell. It's bad. This, this and dumb racist policy. It's, it's bad. Uh, but it's also, it's, it's very um, like pedestrian, uh, as far as like bad conservative policies go, like conservatives, when in your life have you not heard conservatives howling and complaining about affirmative action? Yeah, it's dumb racist policy. And I could absolutely see the UCP making this like a key linchpin of a legislative session like a year or two from now. But let's move on to the next one. Policy proposal 22. This one is probably the most evil. Uh, It's pretty simple. And provincial funding for supervised consumption sites. Um, You know, the rationalization here is incredibly bad and evil. 
saying that supervised consumption sites <laughs> um, do all sorts of bad things. The uh, they of course don't actually mention that supervised consumption sites um, save lives, just that uh, they make people feel icky having to see people who use drugs in their neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever these are people crying about like public disorder at supervised consumption sites and anything but what supervised consumption sites are actually designed to do, just ask them how many people have died of an overdose at a supervised consumption site. And they, they, the, the, and the, guarantee they'll change the topic to, uh, you know, safe supply or or, or something um, of that sort because no one has died of an overdose at a supervised consumption site because that is literally what supervised consumption sites exist to do is reverse overdoses, um, and um, yeah, I mean, just the 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 wording of this, it's a failed experiment. Like, no, it's not. Uh, they effectively do nothing to combat drug addiction and they do not promote addiction recovery. That's a lie. Um, while promoting recovery from drug addiction, addiction is a worthwhile public investment. Giving addicts a place to shoot up does nothing to resolve their addictions while significantly adversely affecting the communities where these sites are located. Um, language. Yeah, it's like, well, you know, I've I've door knocked Edmonton West End Day many many times before. You know, back before I I uh, um, kind of sp split from the party, right? I was always out there canvassing for for John Carson, and I know exactly what type of shitty gated retirement neighborhoods are are putting forward this policy proposal it's it's genocidal man they 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 just want these people to die you know they think that uh, if someone has for whatever reason fallen into the throes of addiction that that is um it is like an indication that that person is is bad that that person is is spiritually flawed that that person mm -hmm. deserves what's happening to them they see anyone with a, a substance abuse problem as like an irredeemable criminal and they want them to either go through like penance in some sort of uh, institution or they want them to die and and wanting people to die is is wanting people to die is the is the like reason why you pass a policy like this because that will be the result when you close supervised yes. consumption sites more people will die and the the numbers coming out the death numbers the drug poisoning death numbers are coming out are already so horrific and uh i, I if they did this it would it would make a horrendous situation even worse and i shudder to think what the the actual impact on our neighbors who use drugs would be because it it would be um, an even worse disaster than what we're seeing now. And finally, uh, the last thing that I want to talk about is <laughs> a consistent theme that comes up through the resolutions. Nearly 20% of the resolutions that are going to be debated at the UCP AGM are really just about prosecuting various, grievan various grievances from the pandemic, mandatory lockdowns, mandatory vaccinations and such. Uh, I don't want to read out the specific ones because one, like who, who has the time and two, like, I think this is really indicative of a political base and a political party that is eager to kind of re-prosecute those battles that, that also sees them as kind of like 
part of their political awakening. <laughs> and uh, I'm curious, um, uh, Jim, why don't we go to you first? Like with regards to, you know, reprosecuting the pandemic is this, this is just like to make their base feel better, isn't it? Like, I don't think we're going to see a lot of different policy changes out of this, but like, is, is this really just reassuring everyone that like, look, we promise we're not going to like do the bad things that Kenny did. Well, first of all, I don't think I'm as optimistic as you are that they aren't going to uh, enshrine some of this stuff into law. I mean, I'm looking at policy proposal 16 right now, for example, uh, the, um, the, uh, the horse paste clause, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, the policy proposal that the UCP believes that the government of Alberta uh, should enshrine the doctor-patient relationship, including the right of physician, physicians to prescribe off-label medications using their best discretion. I'm like, we know exactly which off-label medication you're talking about there, man. You're talking about the fucking horse paste. You do a you do five paragraphs of rationale that are all COVID-19 after after that proposal. It's about the horse paste. And uh, like who was selling the horse paste to us for a year before she got elected? The premier. So I I like if you if you want to be charitable to Danielle Smith on the LGBTQ stuff and believe what she has said in the past. And take that at face value and be like, okay, well, I, I guess Danielle doesn't want to be bad on that file. Maybe she is tolerant. I think you have to take all of her COVID stuff at face value. And Danielle Smith was one of the most egregious peddlers of COVID-19 misinformation during the start of the pandemic. One of the worst sources of it. Moreover, uh, COVID-19 turned out to be an amazing organizing point for the right and has a lot to do with why we have Take Back Alberta in charge of all of the, these party positions and holding uh, the levers of, of power in the UCP. It's because they organized around COVID-19. So I think, of course, you're going to see COVID-19 making up like a quarter of this document. They're, they are obsessed with it. You, you're absolutely right. Uh, but they are they have deliberately gone out and sought out people who have been obsessed with COVID-19 and incorporated them into the party last two years. So this is what they get. Yeah. And I, I think those resolutions, if they do pass, if the AGM does get swamped by uh, Take Back Alberta supporters, um, I mean, again, that will be, I think, something easy for uh, Danielle Smith to make policy because it's not something that is uh, currently really relevant to us so it's just something she could do i think as a sop to uh tba people and also something that's in line uh so far as we can tell with her like deeply held beliefs about um medical uh interventions during pandemic um so yeah i mean those it will be interesting to see those because again i mean not that the pandemic is over by any means, but the the the, no, it's the height of it, yeah. But I mean, it, but the height of it is um, behind us at, at this time. And um, if uh, if Albert's <laughs> numbers are to be believed, did you catch the story uh, last week about the government underreporting the COVID numbers by a factor of three? Yes, like we are in a spike again. The the um, the mm-hmm. wastewater 
charts look absolutely terrible. People should be getting their shots. And if you haven't been wearing the mask, you should put it back on. Cer certainly. But I mean, in terms of like mass death and hospitalizations, um, that is down from where it was at, at the height of the pandemic. That doesn't mean we should throw caution to the wind as every uh, governing body uh, has appeared to have done. But um, it, it, it does, I think, give um, from a purely like strategic, amoral perspective, I think it does give um, these hard right politicians sort of uh, some room to, to maneuver, to do some things without actually doing them, if you know what I mean. Because again, oh, it's I, know. Just... I know exactly what you mean. And I think uh, like doing <laughs> things without actually doing them is, is kind of the overarching theme of Alberta politics, for sure. Uh, one of the reasons why I think it's extremely likely that you are going to see some of this stuff enshrined into legislation is that uh, the actual policy resolutions the actual measures that the uh, that the COVID freaks are asking for are also nonsense, right? They're they're these little um, these little procedural things. Oh, we want you to make a statement that says doctors have a right to free expression. Okay, doctors have a right to free expression. They already do, right? Like, actually, that that legislation doesn't actually like cause any any changes, right? So it, it's very easy to implement that stuff. I wonder if that applies to doctors who uh, want to speak out about the situation in Palestine. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, I just read the uh, I just read the policy resolution, and it only applies to speech about medical matters. It does right. not apply to political speech. Of course, of course. I mean, I think the the when it comes to these you know various kind of re-prosecuting COVID grievances resolutions, even if they were not actually take back Alberta priority policies, the the spiritual kind of like imprint of take back Alberta is kind of all over those. And I, I think it's worth just taking a minute to talk about take back Alberta and just how effective they were at getting their policies into the kind of like resolution debate process, as well as uh, kind of where it's at as a kind of political movement. Like a lot of their stuff was very, that they did manage to get in was pretty motherhood and apple pie stuff, like leadership review, every second AGM leadership election held. If the leader doesn't win their seat, board training for constituency association executives, clarifying the rules around who can vote and take part in constituency meetings. Really the, like the, the signature kind of bit of take back Alberta policy that actually is going to be debated is something about um, is a, is a resolution around supporting a comprehensive bill of parental rights, um, which is again, like a trash concept that religious rights, rights to do what rights to do yeah. what rights to, yeah, do, do whatever the hell you want to your child. Um, but like, this has been a, a, this has been an issue for kind of God botherers and religious fundamentals fundamentalists for a while. Right. Which is why we've seen so much uh, kind of Sturm and Drang over GSAs over pronoun bills. Like this bill of parental rights, I think, would just kind of like try and be an end run around the specifics of that and just kind of say like anything that and anything that involves a parent of all at all, just like they get to be in charge. Um, the rationale kind of is your usual boilerplate kind of, you know, insane conservative shit. Yeah. And so that was that was really it. I mean, I'm, I'm curious, Jeremy, what do you think? Like, where is Take Back Alberta right now? Kind of. Uh, you know, as a political movement and, and, you know, are, are, where do you think it's going to come out? How do you think it's going to, they're going to come out from this uh, AGM looking and feeling? 
Well, I mean, that is, I, I would say the biggest question out of the AGM is not this or that policy proposal. It's how much influence does Take Back Alberta really have? Now that Smith has been elected, that has a majority government, does, um, you know, and so are they going to take over the rest of the positions on the UCP board? Um, you know, I think that's one important question that could guide where the, um, the, the 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 party's trajectory i know now they're they're talking i don't know if you saw uh steven's piece in press progress but now they're talking about going national and focusing on school boards and at the same time uh you know mark and Bo marco von hugenboss uh and david parker like hate each other and um you know, there's there's a lot of internal discord there, and so I'm, what to what extent have we been sold this as a mass movement when it's really just David Parker like manipulating a bunch of people, um, and, and and doesn't really know what he's doing. Like, how much was it a product of like the of of uh, you know sort of the freedom convoy movement and the blockade of Coots, um that isn't um that is less relevant now that the ucp is firmly in power and that uh everyone has given up on actually doing anything about the pandemic including uh you know bc's ndp government the federal liberals um i mean there's no indication that the manitoba ndp government is going to do anything about the pandemic beyond telling people to get vaccinated which they should do um so yeah i mean it remains to be seen um but i i find that shift that take back alberta is now taking to kind of contradictorily um focus expand its reach nationwide while also focusing on like hyper local elections and the track record of like right wingers trying to take over public school boards is not good because <laughs> people who vote for their public school board election i mean are more likely to be progressive than any other thing because first of all you have to vote in a municipal election which is already a very small percentage of the population, then you have to actually care about what goes on in, in, in public schools. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. It remains to be seen, but I think the, the, the AGM will serve as a good barometer of how influential Take Back Alberta is in provincial politics now, or, how much was it just David Parker manipulating people for his friend, Danielle Smith? And to what extent was Danielle Smith just using him to mobilize people to vote for her? And now it's like, yeah, who cares? I, th I think you're, you're right there, Jeremy. I think the AGM is going to reveal to those who are actually paying attention and those who are thinking hard about it, that Take Back Alberta is not a mass movement at all. Uh, that it is, that it is astroturf. Um, that that it's uh, just a pile of money and a guy with a website. David Parker had a lot of success when he first started out because what he was doing at the start was very easy. There was a very easy uh, mechanism, a very easy lever for for him to pull and organize people around the the leadership race, and he had a lot of resources. He had a lot of money. I mean, Duncan, you and I have have tried to do 
kind of similar organizing work at the past in the past right back when progress alberta was a more organizing focused and less uh, media focused organization we were trying to do some similar things but we didn't have the gigantic pile of money and we also didn't have the advantage of being able to like lie and manipulate people with a bunch of covid conspiracy theories um, but, but even we you know we hit the wall when it came time to stop stop doing supporter id stop mobilizing people to easy actions and start trying to organize people for serious change that's hard work that's very very difficult work i don't think that david parker has the right temperament for it from what i see of him online he's he's um he's kind of nuts he seems very uh preoccupied with um like personal slights he seems very <laughs> angry about yeah, being yeah. shut out of various things um he seems uh, uh very constantly obsessed with the fact that he is not in the halls of power he seems to me like um uh, this this might seem like a, a weird com comparison it may or seem like i'm slandering the guy what was the name of that um the guy who was doing all of the local like leftist clout chasing and then got kind of run out knobs oh knobs. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy is this guy is right-wing albert knobs with a ton of money that's what this guy is yeah it's the more he posts and the more unhinged his posts become I, you know i can kind of i I, I can only assume that there is just a negative correlation between that and like how much power and influence he actually has. Um, like look at the resolutions too, though, as proof of how powerless he is look at how much time and effort TBA put into these governance resolutions that don't actually do anything. You know, I, when I looked through these governance resolutions, I was looking for some, some like bombshell stuff, some like significant changes to who's in control of what, um, you know, con consolidating power behind certain people. Uh, this is all just like fussing around the margins. And I think TBA is also doing uh, what Jeremy accused the government of doing uh, uh, a few minutes ago of, of um, trying to look like they're doing something, yeah. of trying to look yeah. like they're effective. They're flailing, right? They don't have a very good plan. I say they, David Parker does not have a very good plan how to turn the UCP into what he believes it should be? I, I don't know. I think it's kind of, as an outsider looking in, you know, TBA and David Parker seem to be flailing. They seem to be kind of fracturing. And, you know, Benita Peterson is out. This Marco von Higginbois guy is out. The other kind of senior lieutenants seem to have pulled away. And there isn't, like you said, Jim, a big kind of unifying thing right now. There, a general election is th three years away. There's no leadership race. So it, it makes sense for these things to kind of like just diminish and, and, but he just kind of seems, you know, he's going to try and trigger the libs into so much on Twitter that he's like going to become relevant again. It's really kind of, um, at least we all get to kind of see it play out in real time. Yeah. I mean, David Par Parker, what I will say he clearly doesn't work well with other people, right. Going back to his time as a conservative who turned against the, conservatives, you know, going through Marco uh, von Hugenbois, uh, Benita Peterson. I mean, he doesn't, uh, yeah, he, he doesn't work well with others, which is kind of hard when you're trying to build what was ostensibly a grassroots movement and I think had many characteristics of one, 
but uh, is at the end of the day, of course, it's AstroTurf, like every uh, right-wing grievance uh, project. Yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on to a different subject. I don't even have a good segue or a transition here because there isn't really one. Um, but I, I think there is a, a local angle to the kind of ongoing bombardment and genocide in Gaza that hasn't really been examined anywhere else. And that is the fact that several Alberta NDP MLAs have appeared at pro-Palestine rallies in both Calgary and Edmonton. And in Calgary, uh, a couple of NDP MLAs have even spoken. Jeremy, why don't you tell me about um, a pro-Palestine rally that you attended and who you saw there and what was kind of who was there and kind of what was the vibe? Yeah, so uh, I forget the date at this point. It was. It, it must have been like a couple weeks ago. It was the day after uh, Israel probably uh, bombed the Al-Ali Baptist Hospital in Gaza. Big rally outside of the legislature. And uh, Janice Irwin came. Uh, David Egan, uh, who uh, his uh, pro-Palestine activism, uh, I... I, I discovered this researching the book was used against him by Kenny to talk about how the NDP is trying to like brainwash uh, kids into being uh, left-wing ideologues uh, when Egan was education minister. Um, Rod Loyola, who's kind of, uh, uh, you know, um, I think checked out um, you don't hear much about him. He was there. And uh, to my pleasant surprise, Brooks Arkan Paul, um, who's brand new and is, of course, indigenous, um, was there. And I um, and yeah, it was it was great to see. I'm sure uh, there were other people in caucus who probably would have liked to show up, but didn't want to risk it. Um but um and also I, I i mean arkham paul right he's edmonton west henday if i'm not mistaken yep a lot of jewish people live there so mm -hmm. that and of course jewish people are not a monolith on israel no matter what the organized uh uh jewish groups like the jewish federations and sija and neighborhood tell you but um yeah it, it was very pleasant surprise to see brooks there um and uh yeah i mean again that hasn't gotten much it hasn't gotten any media attention so far as i know i mean maybe like true north or western standard tried to do a hit piece on them but um i i haven't even seen anything from them when i was uh so so brooks discussing and this a little earlier on the on the discord like i um i expressed my anxiety there of of talking about it and i wonder if uh, maybe this is why there hasn't been a lot of coverage from other sympathetic folks around Edmonton, just that people are scared of, of like bringing attention to it, that we might somehow get them in trouble, you know? Yeah. It's not like it was a secret, right? Uh, Janice Irwin and Brooks Arkan Paul both posted pictures of a rally, uh, of a pro-Palestine rally that they attended. Um, I, I believe the, the, the one that you're talking about, Jeremy, the one that was outside the legislature and, um, and in Calgary, uh, I spoke with someone who confirmed to me that uh, relatively earlier on, um, like not recently, but like a few weeks back after October 7th, that uh, Calgary MLA Parmeet Singh Bopari not only attended a pro-Palestine rally in Calgary, but spoke as well. And that the week after, 
uh, Calgary ND or Alberta NDP MLA Gurinder Brar also attended and spoke at a pro-Palestine rally in Calgary. And, and again, yeah, no media coverage, um, no interest, which is, it's, it's bizarre to me that like the local Jewish federations haven't been like setting their hair on fire and that the like local or not even the local, like the, the right wing conservative rags haven't kind of set their hair on fire, but like, I don't know, is this indicative of a, of a shift? Is it like, what, what is Yeah. I mean, if you're a person who does not follow Israel Palestine closely, um, you might be forgiven for not understanding that uh, these these politicians really stuck their neck out by doing this. Uh, look a few jurisdictions over at the Ontario NDP. Uh, I uh, maybe we're stealing valor a little bit by calling her friend of the show, but I I met Sarah Jama um, at Progress Summit a few years ago, and she um, was really impressed by her. Uh, she seems to have gone on to become. Uh, quite an effective and principled politician as an MPP in the Ontario NDP. She made uh, a pretty innocuous innocuous statement uh, asking for a ceasefire, uh, asking for Israel to stop dropping bombs for a few days. And Merritt Stiles, the, the um, relatively new leader of the Ontario NDP, threw her out of caucus. Not only... Um, like suspended her from caucus, but like they, they cut her office off from all of the, all of the, the uh, caucus infrastructure too. So like all of the casework that she was doing for people in her constituency got blown to hell. Um, but like, you don't see Notley threatening to throw anyone out. You don't see Notley even complaining that people participated in these things. Uh, it's remarkable. But I would say that, I mean, if you're talking about locus, local Jewish federations, I know from personal experience that they would rather work behind the scenes to get people into trouble than actually say anything publicly, especially after they're like the Edmonton Jewish Federation's unhinged response to Sohi saying that, uh, you know, Jews and Palestinians in Edmonton are like in his thoughts um, that they don't want to go publicly public and embarrass themselves again. Um but uh, I'm sure behind the scenes, they're um, asking Notley to do anything and to do something. And to her credit, I don't think Notley is going to do anything um, because, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it is quite remarkable to see, given the way that Notley has like ruled over the party with an iron fist, her not uh, punishing any of these MLAs. But I think it shows where... Uh, public opinion is uh, in Alberta. And because don't forget, in Alberta, a lot of like conservative oil people are like, are at least able to understand where the Palestinians come from because they've spent a lot of time in the Arab world, um, you know, uh, making oil deals. So, um, and, and also in the UCP, right? I mean, you haven't seen Smith uh, condemn anyone. And I remember in 2021, there were UCP MLAs who also spoke out against. Uh, Israel's attack on Gaza. And Kenny was just like, look, I, I, I don't agree with them. Everyone knows I love Israel, but um, you know what? They're entitled to their opinions. Um, and, I, you know, I, I, I um, suspect Danielle Smith herself isn't uh, particularly pro-Israel, right? I mean, there's a particular 
not saying it's for the right reasons for humanitarian reasons but there is a particular faction of like libertarians or like why are we spending so much money defending this country in the middle east like what's in it for us right um i can only speculate what danielle smith's personal opinions about this are i um i mean i i expect we have a lot of listeners who um want us to stick to local issues or or who come here for uh, analysis of local political issues. And I think something that people need to understand about Israel-Palestine is that it is kind of a local <laughs> issue in the same way that uh, that Ukraine is and, and the conflict in Ukraine, the, the Russian invasion, is a local issue of sorts. Uh, the story of Israel-Palestine is a story of colonialism. And like we have some some dirty messes that need to be disentangled in Canadian history. Uh, our ostensible allies in Israel are now making the same mistakes, committing the same atrocities that the Canadian state did decades ago. Like there is a lot that needs to be... Um, kind of unknotted. Uh, it's just, it's so messy and tangled up here. You go to Churchill Square, uh, and on any given day, you may have a demonstration uh, against Palestine, a demonstration against Israel. Uh, and at the same time, you have a, a monument against, uh, like a monument commemorating the famine in Ukraine that is right across the plaza from a monument to a guy who did famine to India in the yeah. same century like the there is there is so much here that is that is so um that is so incoherent and it's because this whole country is is just like steeped in colonialism the original sin of this whole country and the same sin i think uh that israel is guilty of and so all of this stuff is just so tied up and so messy but you can't see it as being separate from the story of canadian colonialism because colonialism is one story that has hurt the, the whole world. So, uh, yeah, it is, it is relevant here, even if this is ostensibly an Alberta podcast. No, absolutely. Um, I think that's a fantastic way to end the pod. Um, folks, thank you for listening for the whole thing. We appreciate it when you listen all the way to the end. And your reward for getting all the way to the end is you get to hear Jeremy plug his book. Jeremy. Give the book, give the book plug. Yes. My book, Kennyism, Jason Kenny's pursuit of power is coming out, uh, on February 6th, which I know is a long time from now, but you can pre-order it, uh, go to Dundurn press, the publisher's website and search for Kennyism and hit the shop local tab. You'll, you can put in your postal code and it'll tell you where your closest, uh, independent bookstore is that you can order it to i know a lot of people here in edmonton have been ordering it to audrey's uh which is downtown but there are others uh you can also get it from amazon and chapters indigo and barnes and noble actually um if you're in the states for whatever reason are listening um and yeah pre-order it because uh you may be telling yourself oh i'll get it when it comes out but pre-orders do help uh promote the book once it's out if it's gotten a lot of pre-orders it generates a lot of hype and um 
and it becomes more prominent uh, for uh, booksellers in terms of like where they place it in the store, how many copies they order in anticipation of its release. So uh, yeah, please do that if you haven't already. Yeah, buy the book, pre-order the book. Uh, also follow Jeremy on Twitter if you're not doing that already. And Blue Sky, if you need a Blue Sky invite, uh, invite hit up me or Jeremy. Jim is, uh, I don't, I don't know. Are you on Blue Sky, Jim? I'm taking a break still from the All socials. Right. There you go. Good. That's matters. probably that's probably best. Um, you know, if you like this podcast and um, you want to join the 500 or so other folks who help keep this independent media project going, it's very easy. You go to theprogressreport.ca slash patrons or click on support the progress report on the homepage there. Put in your credit card, become a monthly donor. Jim and I and Jeremy would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have any notes or thoughts or comments, I am very easy to reach. I am on Twitter and Blue Sky at, at Duncan Kinney. And you can reach me by email at duncank at progressalberta.ca. Thanks to Jim and Jeremy for coming on. Thanks to Jim for editing. Thanks to Cosmic Family Communist for our theme. Thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>